So when I was, um, when I was knee-high to a milk cow, um, I had this horrible fear of monsters. I was sure that there were monsters either under my bed or in the closet in my bedroom. I was sure of it. And no matter how many times mom and dad would come in before bed and, they would, and I would make them look under my bed and open the closet and make sure there were no monsters. And they would then assure me, Justin, there are no monsters. Look, they would open the door and I'd hide under the covers and they'd say, no, Justin, look, it's fine. It's just, it's just some clothes. You're okay. And then they'd make me get down and look under the bed with them and look, there's nothing there. There are no monsters. No matter how many times they did that, I was sure the second mom and dad walk out of that room, monsters will materialize in the closet and they're just hiding. They're just really good at hiding, mom and dad. You don't understand. And so my defense mechanism, my savior was a nightlight. Because as you know, monsters do not come out when the light is on. They just can't do it. They, they need complete darkness to function. So that nightlight was my safety. Because as long as that thing's on, monsters can't come out. They're not going to come get me. They can't make it across the light in the room to get to me. And then, you know, I got a little older, got a little taller, maybe to like the height of, a, of the, the head of a dairy cow. I don't know. I got a little bigger. And I realized that, okay, yeah, there, there really is no such thing as monsters. Like, they, re they really don't. It was all me. It's fine. But then I discovered that there's an even more terrifying monster. And this monster was in the Bible of all places. Why would there be a monster in the Bible? And his name is Satan. And in the beginning of the book, he's described like a snake and I hate snakes. I'm terrified of them. I don't care if they're just a little harmless gardener snake or something really poor. I just hate snakes. When I go to the zoo, I skip the snake section. I don't care how thick that glass is. I'm not risking it, okay? And then at the end of the Bible, he's described like a dragon, this big, monstrous dragon. And Peter in the Bible says that Satan is like a lion roaming around looking to devour us. And that sounds pretty terrifying. Way more terrifying, because the Bible's real. So now it's in the Bible. So now what do I do? And it doesn't sound like just a nightlight's going to help with this one. And then I got a little older, and I learned another important lesson. I learned that Jesus tells us not to be afraid of Satan, not to worry, because he's already beat him. He's already lost. So Jesus is there to protect us to help us, and he tells us in Scripture how to do that and what he's going to do to help us out. And so we're continuing our series called We Prevail, talking about the victory that we're going to have as a church. It's inevitable. Jesus promised it. It's just a matter of when. And last week, we talked about Jesus taking his disciples to the city of Caesarea Philippi, to a place of idol worship and darkness and evil, and there he proclaimed that he was going to build a church and his church would not be stopped. And so, you know, last week we were challenged to be courageous instead of comfortable. And we were challenged to sacrifice instead of just sort of sitting back and waiting and letting things happen. And this week, we're going to talk about that while our church cannot be stopped, we do have an enemy who's going to do whatever it takes to slow us down. He can't stop us. He can't beat us but he can try to discourage us. He can try to slow us down. He can try to hurt us in the process. And, 
you know, our kind of Western culture t tends to fall into one of two extremes when we talk about this. It's either like, that stuff is fake, that none of that is real, like we can prove it all with science, like that just doesn't happen anymore. Or the other side is this like unhealthy fascination and curiosity, and we try to like figure out all this stuff that the Bible doesn't really tell us about the spiritual world. And both extremes aren't wise. Like it's unwise to think that there's a spiritual world that doesn't exist. It's unwise to think that. It's unwise to think that, you know, the people in the Bible, they just didn't have enough science to understand these things. Because Jesus talks like it's real, and he, and he fights it. It's also unwise to believe that every rock has a demon under it, and everything. Like, you get a headache, Satan. You uh, have a toothache, Satan. You know, it, like, it's unwise to think of either extreme. So the Bible teaches us that, yeah, Satan is real. He wants to damage us. He wants to hurt us. He wants to try and stop us and do as much damage as he can before Jesus comes back. But the Bible also teaches us how to defend ourselves and how to fight back and what Jesus is going to do. And so the Bible teaches us to be aware and alert of Satan, but not to be afraid of him. We need to be aware of what he's up to and alert and paying attention, but we don't need to be afraid of him because Jesus has already taken care of that battle for us. So what we're going to look at in, is Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. This is a place where the Apostle Paul has a lot to say to us about how to defend ourselves in this spiritual battle. And so Paul writes in the New Testament book of Ephesians, he says this starting in verse 10. He says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You see, Paul recognizes that we have a mission as a church that involves this invisible world. And that our enemy is not always what we think it is, or who we think it is. You know, in the Old Testament, there's this story in 2 Kings chapter 6, where the prophet Elisha, um, he's been causing some trouble for the king of Aram. The king of Aram's been trying to conquer Israel, but every time he makes a battle plan, Elisha is able to prophesy. God tells Elisha what the plan is, and he tells the king of Israel what the plan is before King Aram can carry it out. So he's obviously very frustrated by this and decides he needs to eliminate Elisha before he can conquer Israel. And so there's this, this story in 2 Kings chapter 6 where, where Elisha's servant, he goes outside of their house in the morning, you know, he gets up, goes outside, and he sees that the city they live in is surrounded by the army of Aram. And he runs back in, and he, he's, Elisha, Elisha, what are we going to do? Like, he is terrified. There's this army. We don't, we don't have weapons. We don't, we don't have an army big enough. What are we supposed to do? And so Elisha responds to him, and he says, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And his servant is thinking, what in the world are you talking about, Elisha? And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. What the story shows us is there is a spiritual world that we don't always see. 
And Elisha saw that God had provided this army around the city, this invisible army to protect Elisha from the king of Aram. But his servant didn't see that. And so in, in his fear, Elisha asked the Lord to allow his servant to see what he sees, that God is already, he's taking care of this battle. He's prepared. He's way ahead of the enemy. And so us too, can, there are certain things that the Bible teaches us that we can have access to in this unseen battle, this invisible world that we have. And so as Paul says in Ephesians 6, he says that the devil, he's got these schemes and these tactics. He's got these plans to try to get after us, and we need to be aware of that. And what he's trying to do is he's trying to get under that armor of God, or he's trying to convince you to just leave it at home. You don't really need it. It's fine. But there's something important about how Paul describes this armor to us that we lose a little, just a little bit in English because in Greek there's this way of saying when he says put on, it's this idea of you continuously every day put that armor on. And so that's something every day we've got to remember. Okay, faith and truth. We've got to put it all back on. We've got to be prepared and ready every time because Satan has these schemes that he's going to come at us. And I just try to think, think of a few ways common tactics that Satan has for us to just be aware of. These aren't all of them. These are just three that I thought of. The first is isolation. He will try to convince you that you don't have any friends. Nobody cares about you. Nobody's going to understand. You've got nobody to talk to. Like whatever happened to you, it's only happened to you. Nobody else knows. And he's going to try to get you distanced from other people and distanced from God and try to get you to physically isolate and just feel like you're just going to lock yourself in your room. You're just going to stay in your house. You're not going to talk to anybody. You're not going to associate with anybody else. And he's going to try to get you off by yourself because then you will be an easier target for him down the road. He'll cut off your support systems. He'll turn you away from the Lord. A second one is distraction. Now, Satan's going to try to distract us with things of all shapes and all sizes. But I actually think this is one of the most dangerous ones for us that we do not think about. Because I think this tactic can be as simple as the autoplay feature on Netflix. It can be that easy. If Satan can just get you to just, just watch one more episode, that's just another 30 to 50 minutes where you're not praying, you're not going to read the Bible, maybe you'll miss an important text, you'll be a little distracted, you're not going to have a meaningful conversation with your spouse or your kids. If he can just, sometimes in America, that's all he needs. He just needs to keep you just a little distracted, just a little busy. And also with this idea of distraction, I think a lot of times with distraction, it's also busyness. If he can just keep you busy enough to not make time for the things that are most important to God, he's got you. He can slow you down. He can slow the church down. There was a, um, a leadership conference that Rodney and I and Scott Horde went to several weeks ago, and we were, you know, doing some different projects kind of in this group. And uh, the guy leading the conference asked people to sort of share a challenge they were trying to work through. And there was a, uh, a student pastor from another church who stood up and said, basically, like, what she was trying to figure out is, how do I convince my students about how important Jesus is when their parents tell them that sports and school are way more important? She says, how do I? And Caleb says, Amen. How do I do that? Sometimes all Satan needs to do is he just needs to get you a little too busy. 
just say yes to a few many evening commitments, a few too many sports programs, a few too many organizations, and then all of a sudden, you've got no time to hang out with non-Christians. You've got no time to be home as a family and invest in your own kids. You're just all busy. You're just running here and there and, you know, we'll eat really quick and then on to the next thing. Sometimes in America, that's, that's all he has to do, and he's got gotcha. A third one is division. And Satan, he'll use anything he can to drive a wedge between you and other people and, and in his church as well. Anything he can use. Now, maybe, you know, you've heard some of the, the stories about, unfortunately, like, you know, a church splits because of the color of the carpet. You know, and that just seems like ridiculous. How could that happen? But if Satan can use the color of the carpet to split up a church, oh, you bet he's going to. If he can use the choice of a light fixture, absolutely he'll go there. Or if he can even use how a church responds to COVID, he'll do it. If he can do that to split up a church and weaken it, absolutely he will. And you probably don't need me to remind you that there's an election coming up. Oh boy, maybe some of you don't want to think about that right now. And maybe, you know, as the election comes up, maybe you're the person who you've got a candidate that you are fully behind you believe in this person, or maybe you're a person who's just like, can we just have some other options? Like, I'm just kind of sick of this, right? Wherever you are, like, listen, wherever you are in that, just remember what actually matters. Jesus doesn't need to get a certain person into the White House for his mission to keep working. Whoever wins in November will be right here the next Sunday doing the exact same thing. We'll keep moving forward. We'll keep following Jesus. We'll keep ministering to people. So don't let your political opinions become a point of division between other Christians and make it a point where Jesus can, can be attacked or a place where our church can be weakened by Satan's schemes. Don't let that happen. So Paul tells us we've got to put on this armor to fight against these schemes. And so Paul goes on and he says, he says, therefore, in verse 13, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then you hear a theme, stand, stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And there's just one little word that makes this passage really important. Therefore. And if you've been in enough Bible studies, you've probably heard the corny preacher phrase, when you see the word therefore, you ask, what is it therefore? You've probably heard that and you haven't. There you go. But it's so important that we understand this, that he talks about you've got to be strong in the Lord. Therefore, you put on this armor. And that word, be strong in the Lord, okay, here's another grammar lesson for you. It is passive. Here's what that means. It means it is something that is done to you. So the way you be strong in the Lord is God gives you his strength. You do not just sort of toughen yourself up and hit the gym a few extra times and go, all right, I'm ready, Lord, let's go. That's not how it works. You instead allow God to give you his strength, which is great because some of you, are scared and nervous and you feel inadequate for this task and you need God's strength. And some of you, you're ready. You're like, let's just go. Let's go get him. And you're just going to shoot from the hip and, you know, ready, fire, aim, and just 
go all over the place, and God's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's my strength, not your strength. That's how this is going to work. And so we need that. We need it to be God's strength. But the reason we can stand in God's strength is because of what Jesus has done. Because Jesus came to earth, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, rose from the dead. He, Paul says earlier in Ephesians, he has disarmed the evil powers. They're no more. And so what that means is it's sort of like Satan is throwing a tamper, a little bit of a temper tantrum. He's just angry. He's just kind of wailing and doing as much as he can before Jesus comes back and totally destroys him once and for all. And so we get to stand in the power of a resurrected Christ. And that is the only way we have the strength to fight this battle. Because you and I don't have what it takes to go toe-to-toe with Satan on our own. You absolutely have to have the power of God because he is the one who raised Jesus from the dead. And if you read the New Testament really closely, there's a detail in there where uh, Paul writes that it was the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. And if the Holy Spirit's the one who raises Jesus from the dead and the Holy Spirit lives in us, we have that power. God has given us that same spirit so that we aren't afraid, so that we can be courageous and fight. And it's also really important for us to notice that that Paul talks about our enemy is not flesh and blood. Because I think a lot of times when we just think that this is a flesh and blood problem, we look for flesh and blood solutions. So we think, you know, poverty is an education problem, so we just need more education. Or violence is a gun problem, so we just have to figure out something with guns. That'll fix everything. When there might actually be something else behind the scenes. And it might just be more than that. And it's not that, you know, medical advancements or legislation or education aren't important. Those things are still important. But we can't only just look at, let's just get practical flesh and blood solutions. We also need spiritual solutions. Because there is an unseen battle that we have to be aware of and we have to lean into and fight the way that Jesus tells us to. And it's a little bit different than some of the ways we've learned. And especially when we fight a flesh and blood battle, we can mistake who the enemy is. We can think that our enemy is a certain political party. Or we can think the enemy is a particular organization or a group of people. When actually, they're not the enemy. There's somebody behind them that is the enemy. And there are lies that are the enemy. And sometimes we start to attack people and we hurt people. When there's something else that we need to fight. There's a lie that needs to be fought. And so it changes how we even view this battle that we find ourselves in. But here's here's the key I want you to notice, is that Paul's metaphor of using this armor is all about responding to what God has already done. We stand in the strength of God because of what God has done. In fact, that's kind of what the first five chapters of Ephesians is about. It's like, here's what God has done, So because of what God has done, here's what you can do. It's all about our action and our response because of what God has already been doing. So I want to ask you this question. Have you ever tried fighting from something before? Not for something, from something. I know it's a a little change of a preposition, but I think this makes a big difference. Because a lot of us have learned and we're used to, you fight for something. 
you fight for your rights. You fight for your family. You fight for your own life. You fight for something. But there's a key difference between when you fight for and when you fight from. Because some of you, you are fighting for God's love instead of from God's love. And when you fight for God's love, you spend your life on like a teeter-totter. You're never quite sure, does God really love me? Did I, did, I, did, I good, did I do good today, God? I just don't know. And so instead, you try to prove that God loves you, that you're good enough. But when you fight from God's love, it's a lot harder to get discouraged because you already know who you belong to. You already know what the goal is. You already know that he is behind you. So when you fight from something, it changes everything. If you fight for God's approval instead of from God's approval, well, you become anxious. You wake up scared that maybe God isn't proud of you. You feel like you're letting him down. But when you fight from God's approval, you know you already belong to him. You know whose you are. So it's okay. You don't have to prove anything to anybody. So I want to ask you the question, what are you fighting from? What are you fighting from? Because the armor of God in Ephesians is all about this. It's that we fight from victory in Jesus instead of for victory. We are fighting from victory because Jesus has already won. This is what the New Testament proclaims to us. Because the whole New Testament lays this out for us that that what Jesus has already done cannot be undone. Like this is why Paul can say in, in Romans that nothing can separate us from the love of God because you can't undo what Jesus did on the cross. You just can't. It's why at the end of the Bible, the, we, get a, we get a huge spoiler at the end of the Bible. It says, hey, guess what? We win. You know, you, if, you, if, if you skip to the last page, it's like, huh, everything works out great in the end. Okay. We get that spoiler warning because what we do is from a place of victory. We don't have to fight for victory. And that changes how we fight. Because when you think we have to win the battle, well, it changes your tactics, changes your targets, it changes everything. But when you realize we've already won, it changes how you look at the battle. It changes how you go about it. And in fact, Paul recognizes that, which is why he ends this section of Ephesians like this in verse 18. He says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. So the way that Paul tells us to fight, you know, you put on this armor and then you pray. Not necessarily like charge, but you pray. You pray in all seasons, you pray for everything, you pray for all kinds of different people. And here's the thing, prayer is the number one strategy of a church. It is prayer. That's first and foremost. It's, it's not so much about, you know, we need to have like a, a, fi- a five-year strategic plan and we need to have a marketing strategy and, you know, all those things can be helpful and clarifying to a degree. But the strategy of the church is you pray. That's how we fight this battle. And I even know this is sometimes hard for even me to remember. 
and I'm a pastor, right? Like I come into the office and there's stuff to do. I've got emails to respond to. I've got meetings to try to schedule with people or places to go visit. I know I've got steps on my sermon to work on and Bible studies to prep and lead and, and meetings to attend. I mean, I've got, and sometimes I just get into the office and I just start rolling and doing stuff. And then I realize, oh, I should have prayed. I haven't really prayed today. But I know that's the most important thing I can do. In fact, one of the things that helps encourage me in this, reminds me of this, is there's just this little moment in the book of Acts where, um, where the disciples, Jesus' 12 original followers who are the kind of the core leaders of the church, the church is beginning to grow and they have this feeding ministry. And they realize that you know, there's some issues with the feeding ministry and they need people to just focus on that feeding ministry. So they create deacons for the first time in the church and they appoint these men, these godly men, and they say, hey, you focus on the feeding ministry, make sure it runs great. And then they just sort of say, almost like an aside, so that we can focus on preaching the word of God and prayer. Preaching and prayer. And I always kind of go back to that and go, they didn't say, you know, uh, preaching and strategic meetings and, and all these other things. They said, no, we need to tell people about Jesus and we need to pray. And that sometimes reminds me, like, one of the most important things for me to do is, is pray. Like, sometimes that might be more important than me putting another hour into the sermon or having another meeting. It might just be, I just, I just need to pray. I think that's something for all of us because sometimes we can, we can forget how powerful prayer is. We can get a little bit impatient with the process. But Paul says the way you fight this battle is you pray. And the reason we can pray is because we know that we win. See, if we didn't know we win, it might be a little harder for us to pray. Like, well, shouldn't we get out there and, like, really, really do a bunch of stuff? And sometimes it's good to do stuff. But sometimes God says, hold, just, just pray first. Pray for me to work. Give me time. Let me show you what I'm going to do first. Some of you will remember uh, my first Easter here. And uh, for, that, for that Easter Sunday, we had two services. Some of you will remember this. We had two services during first service of Easter Sunday, everything was great. Everything went smooth. Second service, very different story. I had felt totally fine all week, felt fine on Saturday, felt fine Sunday morning, but something happened in the middle of my sermon, second service of that Easter Sunday, and I just lost my voice. And I was embarrassed. I was scared. I was just like, oh, no. Am I going to have this gross moment where on stage I'm going to, like, cough up this gross some slime ball, and you're all going to be like, oh, this is our new preacher. Oh, my goodness. And it's Easter, and there's, you know, a bunch of people here who normally aren't here, and ah. And I tried to, like, just keep getting one word out, one word out, one word out. But what came to my mind in that moment is, I don't think I'm sick. I think, I think someone's trying to do something. And so I just sort of in the moment was like, God, please help me get through this. Please give me my voice back. Please help me, help me, help me. And I just in that moment remembered immediately in 2 Corinthians where Paul's, where Paul's talking to God and God says that, you know, hey, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. I thought, okay, as long as I can keep getting some words out, I'll keep going. But I kind of glanced over at Rodney who was sitting back here and I was like, but if I, if I completely can't talk, Rodney's going to have to get up here and just read the rest of my sermon for you guys. And so I just kind of powered through. I was literally in real time cutting parts of my sermon like, I don't think I've got enough voice to say this or this, so let's just, let's just get to the bottom line and let's just do it. Okay, that was my first Easter here. Second Easter here, I didn't sleep the night before Easter. 
Like, I'm just telling you, I don't know why. I was like, man, did I eat something weird? No, did I have too much caffeine? No, I've had my normal Dr. Pepper intake for the day. Um, I wasn't like a different, like especially nervous. I just couldn't sleep. So I, you know, rolled in here before service and I was like, I am exhausted. I have not slept at all. Which makes me a little nervous for what this Easter will be like. <laughs> and, you know, I've just kind of begun to notice, just this is just for me, I've begun to notice that it, seem, it just seems a little too convenient in a way that I'll feel fine all week, but then late on a Saturday night, I start to f- just kind of feel sick and tired and just worn out. Or, it'll, you know, I've had a great week, but then on Saturday, I just have all these discouraging thoughts. Like, I just feel like, man, I'm not good enough. Like, you know, I'm this 31-year-old, you know, whippersnapper. Why are people like who've been followers of Jesus twice as long as I've lived going to listen to me on a Sunday? I'll think, gosh, is anyone, is anyone really going to, like, is this even going to work? And I'll feel so discouraged. And I've just begun to learn that's probably not an accident. And maybe you can think of some moments in your own life where you think that, that maybe seems a little too intentional. And so we have to be aware that there are some ways that, that our enemy works to try to discourage us, to try to stop us from following Jesus, to try to keep us comfortable and keep us on the couch instead of out in the community. There are all kinds of ways he's trying to attack us. But the strategy is to pray. The strategy is to pray. And if you ever need something to pray, I mean, just come here to the end of what, what Paul says, where he says, pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers. And he even tells the Ephesians how, you, how they can pray for him. He says, pray for me that whenever I speak, Words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. I mean, selfishly, if you ever want to know what to pray for me about, just pray that verse in Ephesians for me. Pray that for Caleb. Pray that for John. Pray that for Rodney. Pray that for Taylor and Sierra. But pray for your whole church family. Pray for our students as they wrestle with really difficult questions in their culture, that they, things that they see at school and then their friends, and they're like, they're going to Caleb like, Caleb, how, how, do we, how do we talk about this? What do we do? Pray for those in our family who are struggling. Pray when things are great and awesome. Pray when things are terrible and you don't have answers. Pray for people in the church who are your best friends and pray, that, pray for the people in this church that you just kind of hope you miss on Sunday and you just don't really have to talk to them. Pray for all of our Sunday morning volunteers as they, they help teach Bible studies in the morning. They have the words to say. And for our volunteers and the kids for it, they have patience and grace because some of those kids are so gosh darn adorable. And sometimes they are little terrors, right? Some of you know, you're in this room, you're like, yeah, I drive Mr. John crazy sometimes, but he loves you guys. And some of you are thinking, I don't drive him crazy. Who's he talking about? Anyway, pray for our worship team because, you know, sometimes they need to be healthy so that they have a voice. Pray for, pray for unity for this church. Pray that we can be a place where people can come and get to know Jesus. Prayer is never a waste of time. It never is. And there's a couple ways that as a church we try to help kind of inform you about ways you can pray. For those of you who are a little more old school, in the bulletin we have a little insert that is our prayer list and we just keep our different missionaries and organizations we partner with on there, as well as a number of people that are having unique struggles and need prayer. 
And so if you ever need prayer in a particular way, or you know of somebody, you can always contact the church office and add somebody to that list. But for those of you who are a little more new school, you're not, you know, you, we have an app for that. All right, we really do. We have a church app, and there's a prayer section in that app. And you can submit a prayer request in that app anytime from anywhere. It takes a tiny, it takes a little bit to upload because I get an email and I have to click, yes, post. But, you know, that's just how it works. And then you can literally pray for those requests anytime. You can open up the app, see what prayer requests are in there. And you can, there's like even like a little like button like on Facebook to mark, I've prayed for that. And so we can actually see how many people have prayed for things. So we have tools so that if you're like, man, I, I'm going to pray right now, what should I pray for? You've got ways to find things to pray for and people who need prayer. But prayer is never a waste of time. And so the way that we will fight this battle is you put on the armor of God, you put on every day, you stand in God's strength, not in your own, but most importantly, you pray. Because when we are fighting from the victory that Jesus has already won, it's so much easier to pray because that's his strategy. So let's do that. Would you pray with me? Dear Jesus, I thank you for your sacrifice on the cross and for even teaching us how to pray. Your disciples asked you that question. And so you told them, you gave them what we call the Lord's Prayer. And you prayed for us and for your disciples and so we can read your prayers. And God, I am so thankful that we are fighting from victory instead of for victory. I'm so thankful that we know that in the end we win and we can have confidence and courage that it's all going to work out in the end. So Holy Spirit, give us the power and the courage and the strength and the boldness that only comes from you to disciple our kids, to share Jesus with our friends at school who don't know him, to talk with our coworkers when they are discouraged, to get into your word and study it, to get out into the community and maybe go to some places that we're a little uncomfortable with, Give us your strength to stand firm and to put on this spiritual armor that you've given us. Help protect us from the schemes of the enemy. And God, I pray that you would push back those lies that Satan has been busy sowing. First, I pray for maybe the lies that some of us in this room believe, or we believe that we're not good enough to follow you, or we don't believe that Jesus has really saved us and forgiven us. Or maybe we believe that, that we just don't belong. Help us to not be isolated, but to know that there are others we can share this life with. And God, I pray that you would prevent us from being distracted, that your Holy Spirit would sort of nudge us when maybe we're falling into a trap and we're just a little too busy and a little too distracted. Help us to see those opportunities that you are putting in front of us. And God, I pray for unity that you would help us as a church body and all the churches around the world to be united around your son, Jesus. Help us to be united even when we have different opinions on things and different perspectives, but help us to keep the main thing the main thing. Help us to continue to go back to scripture and what you tell us matters. Help us to follow the leading of the spirit. And God, help us to pray on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers, 
Help us to continue to fight this battle that we know we're going to win. Help us to bring as many people into your family as possible with the time that you've given us. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen.